This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Geekscapists, before we get into the episode, I want to tell you guys about an offer that the episode's guest, John Hotchkiss, has made just for Geekscapists. We're going to be talking about his original show that he created and is distributing online, This Versus That, and the controversy about whether or not Mythbusters and Discovery Networks took elements of the show. Before we get into all that, I just want to tell you about this offer. He has all six one-hour episodes available at thisversusthatshow.com. If you want to download them, Click on See the Series, launch the player, enter your info, and then add the promo code GEEKSCAPE for 25% off, which makes the whole six hours about $8.25. Here's John and I's conversation, and enjoy the episode. Hey Geekscapists, I'm here with a brand new Geekscape, and uh, I've got a great guest, John Hotchkiss. Uh, he's a TV creator, TV producer, uh, writer, and uh, before we get to This Versus That, which is the show that um, that kind of brought me into the radar of uh, John's world, uh, I want to just uh, say thanks for listening to all the episodes, and a quick shout out to uh, Satori, our longtime Geekscapist up in uh, Canada. He was the recent winner of our Transformers contest through the hub. And he, if you haven't been on the Geekscape forums in a while, go check it out. He just posted a picture of his son who's basically uh, like gleaming with all, all the Transformers stuff that he got. I think it was like a Blu-ray, uh, toys, whatever it was. And uh, it totally made my day seeing that picture up on the forum. So congratulations, Satori. Uh, we'll have some more contests for you guys, not just U.S. listeners, but hey, he's Canadian. So we're, we're trying to find an international contest for our international listeners. So just keep listening, keep checking out the website, and uh, keep supporting Geekscape, guys. Thanks a lot. It's 70-plus years running. So um, we'll see what happens in the future. I'm excited about it. Anyway, here's the episode. A couple, uh, I think a week ago, I was on Facebook, and Chris Tallman, who you guys know, uh, was on the show a couple years ago, had posted something to his profile about a show creator who was having his idea pretty much pickpocketed by Discovery Networks and uh, the the folks at Mythbusters. And I said, you know what, we have a lot of Geekscapists who are fans of Discovery shows and Mythbusters. What is all this about? 
And so I hit the link and I started reading this uh, this blog post on thisversusthat.com. Am I correct? Uh, the blog. The blog is, is what? Blog, B-L-O-G dot thisversusthatshow.com. That's it. And, and, and I'm on this site and I'm reading this post that john hotchkiss who's sitting across the table from me right now he put up and uh and it basically told the story of how he created this show this versus that almost it was almost like you, like you were developing it concurrently with the folks there or it was your show it's it, your show but, it's my show but so you knew they, they needed a product uh yes the senior vice president of development uh is a friend of mine or right. He was a friend of mine oh boy. i mean it ends badly unfortunately but when it starts off he doesn't yet have a job at the Discovery Channel, and he and I are working side by side with one another uh, in his offices, and uh, I'm doing one TV show, and he's doing another TV show, and he and I are friends, and uh, we had thought about collaborating a number of times, and I pitch him this new idea for a show. But, uh, before you get uh, too into it, let, let's talk about some of the stuff that you've been working on. I mean, oh, what, what's okay. your history in television? Because so you have his, a pretty good one. Yes. So I have been making television shows for about 20 years. I started off as a writer on the show Politically Incorrect, where I spent five years. Uh, I worked for a year on a CBS drama called uh, Buddy Farrow that starred <laughs> Dennis Farina and Frank Whaley. Uh, there were two times in show business where I thought that I was going to ride a project to the very end and I was going to hold on for dear life. Right. And then I was going to retire and make pizza for a living. Right. Right. And so one of those times was uh, a show called Buddy Farrow that was on on Friday nights, uh, run by and created by a guy named Mark Frost, who did Twin Peaks. Oh, wow. So I thought for sure that I was going to retire from show business uh, at the end of our five-year run on CBS. Uh, Thirteen weeks later, <laughs> uh, with our lead-in was a show called Step by Step that starred uh, uh, yeah. Duffy, Mike Duffy. Mike Duffy, Sasha and, Mitchell. Right, uh, and yeah. uh, Suzanne Summers. It was a terrible lead-in for our show about a, a, former, uh, about a detective, like a private eye, who had been drunk in Mexico for 20 years and then comes back to the U.S. to his old stomping grounds. And it was a terrible lead-in. The family comedy that was like a step-by-step yes. Family Matters wasn't a right. good lead-in. It was not that. a good lead. It was not a good setup. It was not a good lead-in to our show. And so, thirteen weeks later, we were canceled. Right. I then worked for two years on the Craig Kilborn show, and although I Which found wasn't the Daily Show yet, no, he yeah. was not. He had left the Daily Show, right. and so now it's the Late Late Show on CBS. And although I will say, I'll say two things about that show. It was soul-sucking. <laughs> and it bought me a house. So, like, it's like I, as when I was working there, I was able to demonstrate to the bank that we had a steady income. And so, it's hard to say something entirely bad. Right. I mean, when you become an adult with adult responsibilities, it's hard to look down your nose at the opportunity that allowed you to buy a house. Right. Right. And so, well, with uh, Craig Kilborn, you know, when he left, I mean, most people just know. The Daily Show and it's John Stewart, but correct. I, I I totally started watching it from day one with right. Craig Kilborn because I kind of liked him from Sports Center. Right, that's then, exactly right. What was the story when he left the the he Daily Show, or was he, he booted? I don't know the story. I don't know. I can't remember. You I mean, know the he, Craig Kilborn show. Right. I worked. So he they CBS is going to start up a new late night show. I had been working in late night, obviously on Politically Incorrect, and then after my show uh, got canceled, I would needed work. 
and I met over there, and they hired me. And at the very beginning, I was certainly quite pleased to be there. It was a <laughs> lovely experience. And that was later, because because was that the was that actually later the one that like I mean later has kind of been their long running oh show right yeah. period. It, it had like yes this know. replaces later. Oh, that is so correct. Right. Like, remember Greg, Greg Kinnear was doing it, right. and then that's exactly you know, a right. million people correct. And so that show goes away, and uh, the Late Late Show with Craig Kilborn uh, premieres. And uh, I will say this: uh, here's a good story from that era. Uh, I was on that show quite a bit, and uh, I was in a number of different bits with Craig. And so I don't want to say that I became famous, because I did not. However, uh, one day I was in the Costco uh, near <laughs> uh, my house on Sepulveda Boulevard in Sherman Oaks. And uh, you know that when you go to a Costco, there are booths set up where they're giving away samples of food that uh, you can try in the hopes that you'll then buy the product. Right, right. Right? So uh, it was for Adele's sausage. <laughs> and so imagine a table with about five or six, let's call them chefs behind it, right? And on the table are about a dozen crock pots. Yeah. And in each crock pot are silver dollar-sized bites of sausage that they've cut up to display each of the flavors of sausage that Adele's is trying to push. And they got toothpicks in them or they're in Dixie exactly. Cups. Exactly. No, there's a toothpick right. that the chef will <laughs> dunk into the crock pot and then give you a taste, right? And so I ask for a taste of one of the flavors. And uh, I'm given a taste on a toothpick and I enjoy it. And then I ask for another. <laughs> and the woman says, I'm sorry, it's one per customer. But you want to try the different flavors. You don't know which one to buy. You're not just going to buy the one that you bought, that you exactly. ate. So then there's a moment of sudden recognition. And she says to me, wait a minute, have I seen you on TV? And I went, I guess it's possible you might have. Do you ever watch the Late Late? Oh, my God, you're on the Late Late Show with Craig Kilborn. Yes, you're that guy. And then she says, okay you can have a second piece of sausage. <laughs> and that will be the title of my memoir someday, A Second Piece of Sausage, because that's what it is to be in show business. Your whole life, when you get into show business, a second piece of sausage, you get a little bit more, a little bit better than whatever it is that regular people are getting. Mm -hmm. And I got the tiniest little taste of that. You know, I had the, the Cajun that I started with and then I got to taste the apple sausage. And so, I mean, literally, that is what show business is. Only now, the more and more famous you get, uh, the thing that you get more of isn't just sausage. Obviously, it's money, cars, prostitutes, uh, boats, right? You get all sorts of great things. You could have gotten a third piece of sausage. I probably, if, if I, yeah. boy, if I had been on just a half hour earlier, like on a show that had been on in primetime, right. I might have had enough sausage to, quite frankly, have lunch. Yes. <laughs> Instead so, of just a snack. But, um, a show that I think a lot of the Geekscapists might have seen was the, um, the Penn & Teller bullshit. Yes. So I ran, I started off on that show as a writer mm -hmm. in season number two. In season three, I was the supervising producer. And in seasons four and five, I ran the show. And uh, quite frankly, working there was where I really learned to enjoy and learn the sort of what it is to make a documentary, what it is to uncover facts, what it is to uncover things that are true. And uh, I owe quite a bit of 
what it is that I do in terms of my current work uh, to my experience on that show. Plus, there were lots of episodes that we did that I, I got to say I was very proud of. I mean, I don't, when you live in, you know, in Los Angeles, right. I don't know really what people are watching. Although when I tell people about that I worked on the show, they always, oh my God, I saw that. And I'm always quite pleased to hear that, that people saw it and they liked it. And there were a couple of episodes that I wrote that I was really proud of. Uh, for example, I don't recall there being a show before we did it about the Boy Scouts and revealing how homophobic they were. And I, I really felt good that we had told people that they had thought one thing they thought that this was a group that was really great and wonderful, and parts of it really are mm -hmm. great and wonderful, where they help uh, young boys sort of learn the skills of survival and to what it is to be a man. Uh, and yet, the Mormon church, which controls the Boy Scouts, uh, look, we all know now, was very homophobic. They keep out kids who are gay. They keep out kids who are atheists. And I thought that by revealing that, I thought that we did a great service to uh, kids who were left out and were picked on and were harassed and felt cheated from that experience. And so I felt really good about that. And we did another episode about families. That was my other sort of one that I really enjoyed. Uh, we did an episode about what people, the sort of right-wing people who spend a lot of time talking about morals on television and on the radio and on the web, imagine a world where uh, everything was the 1950s and where mom and dad uh, had a house and there were two kids with a picket fence and that was the only kind of family that you could have. Anything else was uh, weird or dangerous. And so we showed a variety of families. Uh, we showed a lesbian couple from San Francisco who were raising two kids. We showed a polyamorous family from New Jersey who, where the husband and wife, he has a girlfriend, she has a boyfriend. and their kids were all totally normal and everyone was fine. And I felt really good about showing people that there were a variety of different ways that you could sort of settle down once you were past your 20s, whatever, right? And you come to a point where you go, oh, I'm going to stop being the person who goes out every night and gets drunk. And I'm going to be the person who now is responsible for a, perhaps a child or a person I love in my life and we're going to make a life together. And so I thought that was a great episode to reveal to people that people who had alternative lifestyles were normal just like uh, everyone else. And that was on the Penn and Teller show. That was on the series Bullshit. Bullshit that is correct. Yeah. And then I, after that, boy, uh, things, I, I, did a, I created a series uh, at the same time. And in my last few uh, weeks, at Penn and Teller, maybe it's the last few months, I created another show that I sold to NBC called My Dad is Better Than Your Dad. By the way, can I, is, yeah. should I curse or yeah. not curse? Yeah, go for it. Yes? So, However uh, you want to be represented, sir. All right. So when I was making... Uh, We've just uh, said bullshit 15 times. Oh, that's true. Well, I guess that's true. So when I was, so at the, while I was making, finishing the, the fifth season of Bullshit, I was also uh, developing a series and then sold to NBC called My Dad is Better Than Your Dad, a big network-sized uh, competition show. And so 
in the mornings, I would be writing jokes for pen or voiceover that and it would be like, fuck, cunt, fuck, cunt, whatever, right. right? Whatever it was that we were doing on that show. And then I would go and do this very family-oriented show <laughs> in the afternoon. And uh, I like guess... Like a superhero. Exactly. Like a reverse superhero. Right. And so I thought that was villain. weird, right? <laughs> like I just thought it was a weird sort of confluence You're of like events. Boy Scouts, you said one thing and did right. the other. That's exactly right. And so uh, it was uh, an interesting time. And so after that, boy, uh, I have my own uh, television production company. We've done a bunch of specials for TLC. I did a bunch of specials. Uh, you wouldn't think it, uh, but for for three years in a row, they put the nice Jewish boy from Long Island in charge of Christmas <laughs> at TLC. I did three specials called Invasion of the Christmas Lights. I remember those, yeah. And, uh, in fact, I believe, I don't know when your right. podcast will air. Pretty soon. But uh, I saw some of them on TLC this past weekend. Oh, yeah. Yes. And so uh, I did three of those. I did. They even sent me to Europe, which was amazing. So two years ago, I went off to Europe for six weeks, and I filmed there, and that was just great, right? Really super fun. And filmed people. I guess there was probably a time in my life when I thought that people who put extravagant lights on their houses, that perhaps there might be something weird about that. And here's what I discovered. That I was totally wrong about that. I just couldn't have been more wrong. And what I discovered was that the people who put the lights on their house had only one motivation, which was to make their house the kind of attraction that people from the neighborhood would come to every year and just be amazed by. They were really di- trying. It was altruistic. It wasn't totally like Totally altruistic. It's they not competitive. Wanna, yeah. And they weren't, they weren't weird. They weren't, I didn't, they weren't like crazy people who had a weird obsession. Mm-hmm. I, again, I met each episode, each of the three one-hour shows featured six extreme sort of light decorators. And all of them uh, turned out to be just amongst the nicest people that I had met and who were genuinely altruistic and wanted to create an event that the people from the neighborhood would come and see year after year and that would give them a great memory about the holidays. And it wasn't like the Griswolds where the neighbors are competing. No. In fact, the TV network... Did you meet any of those people? Well, here's the thing is the TV network always wanted that. Yeah. And I kept saying, what part of, it's Christmas. People are not fighting. <laughs> They're just not. Right? Like, What about Black Friday? <laughs> Maybe do a show on Black Friday. Yes, I guess that'd you know, be you know, it. But if you have one of those, I found in all the episodes, one actual bit of conflict in the first episode out in uh, near Irwindale in California, mm-hmm. there was a guy who decorated his house rather largely, and he had a neighbor <laughs> who would uh, always call the police, and who, but again, that was the only one that I could find. Right. And but the network wanted more, 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 more conflict, and I kept saying to them, "You're making a Christmas show. You want people yeah. to feel good. Why do you want to spoil it by focusing on the horse race? Yeah. But no, but on the fighting amongst yeah. the neighbors. I said you do that kind of programming." 23 hours a day, right? And, by the way, there's nothing wrong with that kind of show, they per se. They probably do well with it. Right. Yeah, and I, yeah. these shows of mine are now running, and people watch them over and over and over again, and they love them. Yeah, part of that is just you want to see what the next cool thing is. Like, remember um, the, the, the How Does Candy Get Made? What was the one that, right. who, who hosted that one? The Double Dare uh, Mark? 
Mark Summers. Mark Summers. Like, yeah. the, like sometimes you just watch the show. I just want to see how the candy gets made. Right. I just want to see what right. th- what that weird animal is. You right. Know? You don't know. You, you don't need to know that the two guys who work the equipment are fighting with one another. <laughs> right. Right. Sometimes you just want to see how candy gets made. Right. That's exactly right. So, um, so let's flash to this past year. No, this sounds like something that's been going on for the last two right. years. So you're, you're back in this office. You're developing a, a show. Correct. And so. I want to start off by saying that the world is changing. That it used to be that in order to make content, and you know this because uh, you talk about it, uh, I'm sure, on the podcast, but that television used to be that in order to deliver television to people's homes, you needed to have a satellite, right? Mm -hmm. Or extensive cables that went from one facility to every home in your neighborhood, right? right? That's how television got delivered, right? But now... Uh, I can deliver an entire television series from the laptop in my office through Wi-Fi, and I can deliver it around the world. And all of the material that you need to make a television show, we're sitting in my garage right now, Mm -hmm. and uh, it's full of boxes of, there's cameras and lights and and props and hard drives. And human remains. Yes, and shh, Jesus, will you not (laughs) say that? You cannot talk about the human remains. And right, laptops and uh, monitors, et cetera, et cetera. Everything that you need to make a television show is in my garage. And that scares the shit out of the broadcast networks. Right. Because now we can make TV without them. And so I started off very traditionally with this show of mine called This Versus That. And it is a show that looks at the science within arm's reach. It's the things that we all run into every day. Mm-hmm. What goes on in our backyard? What goes on in our front yard? What goes on as we drive to work? What goes on uh, on, our, on our house, in our house? Uh, all sorts of things that people genuinely run into every single day. And, and this was like a science test show. Right. So right. some people have said to me over time, it's a little bit like Mythbusters. And so... What I say to well, them did is... Did Mr. Busters exist when you were developing the show? Yes. Okay. Mythbusters okay. has been on the air for 10 years. Okay. So, but what's different about it is Mythbusters is a show that, in the vast preponderance of instances, is a show that investigates, well, myths, things sure. that are fantastical. Can a ninja walk on water? Yes. If you put a, uh, a scuba tank in a shark's mouth and shoot it with a gun, will the air tank blow up and explode the shark? Every time. Yes, of course. Right? <laughs> so, but I don't know any ninjas. Yes. Right? And you none don't of have that. Any sharks. And I don't have any sharks. Right. And let me begin. Let me also add that that's not to say that that's a bad show. It's a very good show. No, a lot and of the audience people, loves it. And a yeah. lot of your audience will like it, and reasonably so. Okay? My show is a show about science that we all can touch. So much of what television science is about now is what's going on in space. Mm-hmm. And uh, what's going on at the CERN Collider, right? That's a big sure. question. And not about, uh, for example, things like what's the fastest way to load passengers onto an airplane, right? Do you load them front to back or back to front? Uh, what's the fastest way, if you're stuck in traffic, to maneuver on the highway so that you get to your destination right. most quickly? Should you stay in your lane? Or maybe it's faster to kind of weave in and out of the cars it's and like, take advantage of every opening. Remember Office Space? Yes. <laughs> so the beginning of Office Space when he starts getting passed by somebody, on, I think, on a walker because he keeps right. shifting lanes and the That's other lanes exactly right. faster. That's exactly right. So I did a series of 
six one-hour episodes mm -hmm. that look at the science within arm's reach. It, things that people can watch and then discover and learn things that they didn't know that will save them time, that will save them money, that might even save their lives. For example, there's one of my favorites is uh, we've all obviously flown on airplanes and uh, I hear that announcement uh, and they go, oh, under your seat you'll find a life vest. But then sometimes you don't hear that announcement, right? Sometimes it's, well, your seat cushion can be used as a flotation device. Right. So and you're so, like, wait, 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 right. which one do I do? Exactly. You so do what if you were in a plane crash and you had seriously two seconds to make a decision? And by the way, let me, I know I have to keep going backwards, but uh, it turns out on an airplane, if you are on a, a plane that is flying domestically mm -hmm. and that does not fly more than 50 miles off the U.S. coast, mm -hmm. right, you do not have to have a life vest on the plane. Wait. That is correct. If it does not, even though there are airports, more than 25 airports in America that are located along the coasts. Right. Right. If the plane is only a domestic flight. There's all those great lake flights. And what about when you land at LaGuardia? What about when you take off from LAX and you go to Denver? The plane you... from LaGuardia landed in the in, so, in the, the Delaware. No, it landed in the Hudson. In, in the Hudson. Right. So we Delaware's in Philadelphia. It landed Correct. in the Hudson. So I wanted to I wanted to find out information about airplanes and about safety. And so we worked with a former United Airlines pilot, a guy who had thirty thousand hours of passenger jet experience, and a guy who survived the U.S. air flight that that they refer to it as that ditched in the Hudson River. Mm -hmm. So we did a number of experiments on that episode. And I want to just remind your audience that they can see all of the episodes of This Versus That on our website at thisversusthatshow.com, T-H-I-S-V-S-thatshow.com. And so uh, on the uh, airplane uh, experiment, the water that day in the Hudson River was, any idea? Like 20 degrees? 41 degrees. Jesus. So that's... 41 degrees, you still seize up. Correct. Like, so, you absolutely seize up. Correct. So, I wanted to see exactly what would happen when we put our intern, Travis, in a giant tub of 41 degree water, right? right. And to then induce hypothermia. Right. So, we worked alongside uh, the chief of thoracic surgery from Cedar sinai to oversee this experiment, and we put the guy in the 41-degree water. And how quickly do you think it would take for you to be so debilitated that we would now have to pull you out and rescue you? I have a little bit of an advantage here. Oh. About a week and a half ago. I, I, well, I, it well, takes less I, than I, a week no, no. and a half. I'm sorry, buddy. It takes less than a week and a half. I ran this uh, race in, you know, out in Malibu. Right. When I pulled up, the, there was frost on the ground. Right. And it was one of these races where you, they're swimming in it. And uh, and they had a, a stretch. It's about the length of your of your backyard. You know, it was several yards. Four thousand yards. Yeah. And Got it. Yes. <laughs> the football field that you have in the backyard. Yes. If you're listening, uh, wherever you are, my backyard is four thousand yards. You have yards. to swim. In the, in the water was literally right. forty degrees. Correct. And people were seizing up about halfway through this stretch. Uh, they were seizing up about, you know, ten yards into the thing and. There were people shivering on the other side. There were people who had to use a rope to pull themselves across. So, I would say less than a minute. Less than three minutes. Less than three minutes. Okay, so imagine wow. if you... So if the people in, that, in the U.S. air flight hadn't been pulled out of the water, and they were in about, about three minutes, right? Remember they were yeah. standing on the plane? Yes. And they were... Planning they, to stay on the wings, yeah. People were standing on the wings. Yeah. Sorry, right? Because the boats... 
from either side of the Hudson River had come to rescue them. And we're talking about the same one, the one with the right, geese. The US went into Air, the, yeah. Correct. U.S. The Air Flight 1549 that landed, that ditched in the Hudson River on the west side of Manhattan. Mm -hmm. And so, again, I wanted to show if you are holding the seat cushion in that example in 41 degree water, in less than three minutes, you're going to uh, start to hallucinate, mm -hmm. you're going to start to lose consciousness, and you're going to lose any ability that you had to hold on to the seat cushion. Right. Right. So your arms will become uh, weak and limp, and uh, minutes later you will drown and be dead. Like Titanic. Exactly. Leonardo DiCaprio right. at the end of Titanic. So right. you, and then you'll be dead. And so I thought that this would be, quite frankly, information people should know about. And so we did a variety of experiments that demonstrate uh, uh, these things. We worked with a, a company that actually trains America's airline personnel in emergency procedures. And they came out and we worked and we showed the different ways that you could use a life vest and the different ways that you could use a seat cushion and the ways in which both of them uh, can be misused and uh, not and make your death happen more quickly <laughs> as opposed to saving your life. So like the life vest is kind of the better one. It depends on the situation. Okay. Quite frankly, if you put it on, well, I don't want to give away all the details, yeah, 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 yeah. right? I don't want to, uh, but for example, if you put it on backwards, let's oh, say. Oh, that's, yeah. If, it's, uh, if, instead if the cabin is full of smoke, you could easily do that. Yes. That is, and we demonstrate that, right. by the way. Right. Uh, but if you put it on backwards, let's say you survive a crash and you put it on backwards, rather than the seat, rather than the life vest riding you in the water and keeping your head out of the water, it will force your head into the water because oh, you've got it on backwards. It will push your head into the water. Oh, good. That's uh, one example. Okay. And, so, uh, and then there's a number of other, uh, quite frankly, things that will uh, make your life very unpleasant. Can you use both at the same time? Have you tried that, Ooh. using both at the same time? No, but I will tell you one other thing, that the seat cushion is supposed to float. Have you seen the pictures on the card, on the safety people card? People are hugging it? Yes. Yeah. That a mom hugging it with a baby. Yeah. And that the, it will Not float. Not in 41 degrees. Not no. even in a hundred degrees. You want to be able degrees. to hold on to it. Yeah. Not even in a hundred degrees. So what that happens? seat cushion does not float two people. Uh, it does not float a person who is unconscious. Right. Right. You have to actively hold it. So and you're telling me that um, if you're on a domestic flight, you're not going. They don't even have the. They don't have the uh, the inflatable. Correct. Just to save money on fuel. Uh, I don't know why they, but the FAA says that on flights that are less than 50 miles off the U.S. coast. Now, you will... F there's, for water, example, there's water within 50 miles of the U.S. coast. Hold on. I'm pretty sure. I have to think... There's about 50 hold miles on. worth so of water. How much? <laughs> there's about 50 miles worth of water. Hold on. You're saying off the coast, so you have land, and then there's beach, <laughs> and then right? There's... And then there's kids playing, and then, oh, my God. There is water. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Holy crap. There is water there. But they don't, of it. But they don't need a life preserver. No. That is correct. <laughs> However, the U.S. Air Flight that particular day happened to have the life vests mm. because uh, the airline will sometimes have a number of planes that they can quickly change their routes. Oh, right? okay. So, for example, let's say on the flight from New York to Charlotte, like that right. flight was, that although it would fly over the water, over the Atlantic, when it take off and lands, right, it would not be required to have uh, a life vest. However, let's say from Charlotte, they also fly to London, the, no, sure. to the Caribbean, Caribbean, right? Sure. More likely. And so over there, they would have to have uh, a life vest. So it's possible that 
That way they could take the plane, for, let's say your plane on the domestic flight uh, is broken, they need to replace it with another plane. It's easier to just grab that plane and from the use get-go. it. Right, from the get-go. Exactly. And so it makes, their, it makes their scheduling easier, which seems perfectly reasonable. And that's why they had live fest was because probably they were going to go to a different... Yeah, that, that, that plane, plane was, go on was to... probably scheduled to fly somewhere else uh, later in the day or... Beyond the 50-mile the... demarcation. Exactly, behind, <laughs> beyond the 50 miles. That's right. <laughs> so these are the kind of experiments you guys do on, uh, on this uh, Yeah, we did it. That. And I'll tell Chris you, Tallman is the host. Is Chris one of Tallman, three, two who hosts. you uh, know, Chris is uh, amongst the top two or three... I've done a number of projects with Chris, and uh, Chris is one of the funniest, smartest, and nicest people uh, that I know. He uh, beat me up on Geekscape. He came on Geekscape and beat me up. I was going to say, you must have deserved it, because he is kind and decent and thoughtful. Uh, the other hosts are the very hilarious Brad Sherwood, who uh, starred on more than 100 episodes of Whose Line Is It Anyway, uh-huh. and is uh, hilarious and who has uh, starred in a number of projects that I've done for TV. And the third host is uh, Mark DiCarlo, who is also hilarious. And uh, Mark used to be the host of Studs on FX a long time ago. Mark's been the host of a thousand hours of television on various channels. So what happened when you're developing this show? Let's talk about how Discovery and Mythbusters uh, took the show. What do you mean when they took your idea? Well, I know that... When people hear, oh, uh, they took my idea, they're imagining some kind of scenario where I'm sitting at my desk and I think, oh, wouldn't it be cool if there were explosions on a TV show? And then I say that I've emailed that off to the network (laughs) and then, oh my God, there's explosions on that show. They took my ideas, right? That is not what happened, right? What happened is uh, the Discovery Channel wanted to buy this versus that uh, and put me back into business with the magician's Penn and Teller. And you'll remember two years ago, uh, Penn and Teller did a series for the Discovery Channel called Penn and Teller Tell a Lie. Mm-hmm. And it was canceled after one season, and it was terrible. Uh, they did that show because at the very last minute of our negotiations, five days before we were going to start work, on this versus on that. On this versus that. With, with Penn and Teller. With Penn and Teller as the hosts. And we were going to shoot six episodes that would have premiered in, I guess, the second quarter or so of uh, 2011. Sure. Might have been 12. Okay. I, I get the years confused. <laughs> anyway, right? Uh, Five days they, before production. Correct. It's going to start. Uh, they offer me... I don't want to tell you how much money, but it's on the website. By show, oh, I did. Yeah, I they offered me forty thousand yeah, dollars. Forty thousand dollars. Okay, so to walk now, away, to walk, to yes. be like, thank you for the show idea, goodbye, and, the, and there's no residuals. Right, no there residuals. May, you may not have gotten a, a credit or whatever. Now, look, I know that people listening to this are going to go, I make forty thousand dollars in one year, or boy, my dad made forty thousand in two years, and that sounds like a lot of money. How could you turn that down? Now. But they keep rebroadcasting this stuff every year. So, it's right. not just forty thousand a year. They're going to keep rebroadcasting correct. it. They're going and, to make residuals. And they're going to and forty thousand. I just so people understand that it. I know that that sounds like a lot of money in show business, for a show like this. It's the equivalent of them giving me a nickel, uh, by comparison. Because they're going to make a ton of money on because it. Because they're going yeah. to make, with the magicians as the hosts, their intention is is to make that show for five years. Right. And to run it into the ground 
and to make hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. And so they decided at the last minute that there were too many cooks on the show and mm-hmm. that it would have cost them too much money. So they, at the last second, they decide, let's offer John some money and we'll make him go away and then now we'll own the show. And I told them to go fuck themselves and that they could not have my show. Mm-hmm. And that made them furious. Uh, it created a lot of uh, trouble in the offices at the Discovery Channel. And you felt betrayed by this friend? Well... At that moment or later? Here's what I'm going to say about that. There were times when my friend was my genuine advocate and in very enthusiastic for the program mm-hmm. and worked very hard to make it a television show, uh, not because he was doing me a favor, because he was the television executive who thought that this show was good for his channel. And he worked very hard to make that happen. And then, in a big company, unfortunately, the buck does, did not stop at his desk. There are people that he has to answer to. And when those people make a decision and go the other way, there then comes a point at which uh, your friend becomes uh, the guy who is the voice of a giant billion-dollar media corporation that has uh, channels in 220 countries and 2 billion viewers or something like mm-hmm. According to their own website, right? I'm not making that up. I mean, that's on their homepage. They can be making it up, but you're not making it up. Right. They could be lying about it, but I am not. Right? And so I tell them, no, they cannot have my show. And so uh, that makes them furious. And I then use the time to uh, make a deal with uh, Sci-Fi, mm-hmm. who decides that they would like to make a pilot. And this is in December of 2011. Yes, December, late December 2011, we make a deal. Uh, on uh, January 1st, give or take, uh, Sci-Fi, they announced that, has been bought by Comcast. Oh, boy. Right? And the new Comcast executives have decided that the Sci-Fi channel should focus less on science and more on fiction. Yeah. So they decide <laughs> that they have to pay me a penalty because of the deal that we made. Right. And so because they're not going to make the pilot, I then get a chunk of money. Sure. Uh, and then I go, well, look, I say to myself, two TV networks offered to buy this show. Now, is that indicative of the fact that it's good? Uh, I don't know. Right, except I knew that two TV networks wanted to buy it, and it was also the show is the actual and genuine confluence of the two things that I am personally interested in, which are making TV shows and finding the answers to things that I don't know about, and that I think that will provide information that people would genuinely be interested in. And you think about this stuff when you sit on a plane, you sit when you sit in traffic, when you sit in your desk, you think about this stuff. Correct, and. It turns out that I'm the guy with an extra 15 minutes to look it up and a garage full of TV equipment. And I have created a lot of television shows over the course of my career. So you go this off This was and the you... one that I went, I'm now going to invest in me. So in 2012, you go off and you shoot the show. I shoot the entire you television six, series. Those six episodes. Six one-hour episodes. After the first episode is finished, I uh, have it sent to a number of uh, international television distributors. Mm -hmm. Uh, In case your audience doesn't know, 
right? So this is a big company yeah. that will then provide programming uh, for the channel in the Netherlands, for a channel in Finland. Some of you guys may have seen the show. Right, you, you know, might like, even have seen it on the, the web. I think, in, right. well, what about Canada? Is that part of the U.S. domestic? Because Canada we, in the U.S. I mean, I know it's not part of no. the U.S., but, but I mean, that's part of the foreign sales. And yes. the, our Canadian viewers may have actually seen this on television. That is exactly correct. So. That's exactly right. And so Australia, uh, England. I'm just talking about the English-speaking. Yes, you know. but it's also in uh, uh, non-English-speaking countries. Great. They uh, dub it. Uh, and so because that's kind of funny that maybe our Canadian viewers or our listeners and our Australian listeners are like, I don't know what the big deal is. We we get this show. Correct. That's you know? very. But possible. here in the U.S. Here in the U.S. It it did it. I lost my train of thought. Uh, you sold it on, oh, over. So this? right, we sell it to an international distributor who. Now this is the now this is where you have to pay attention. Uh, the company that I sell it to to distribute it internationally is a company called Beyond International. Uh, now they are the makers of the TV series MythBusters. Oh, they are the this company is a production company and they are also an international television distribution company. So they do two things. So I am convinced to go with them as my international distributor of the series because they say we have Mythbusters in lots of, obviously tons yeah. of territories and we think that we can place your show as a companion to all of those Mythbusters that shows. Great. And that, and I think, oh my God, they're going to, people in showbiz talk about they're going to bring the money truck to your house. It's better than Step by Step. Right, Be exactly. Lead -in. Absolutely. Right. It's way better than that. And I literally thought, I was like, oh, they are going to actually bring a money truck to my house. Right? There's going to be a guy, and it's going to go beep, 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 and a guy's going to back up, and he's going to come out with hilariously large bags of uh, money with a, a giant dollar sign on the right. bags, and they were going to leave them at my house. But instead, they take your truck, and they drive it to someone else's it's house. Exactly. <laughs> right? So, I finished the first episode. The first episode that we make is the airplane boarding experiment show. Right. And it is, it explains, it, this is an experiment that had never been done with the results released to the public. Right. The airlines might have done some some variations on it, but they had never shown these experiments, and there was no place on the web that you could see them, right? So it turns out, a couple of years prior to me doing the TV experiment, a scientist at Fermilab in Chicago, a guy who works on the Kepler project, this is the guy who literally looks for uh, planets in outer space that nobody has ever found. I don't wow. know if you remember back in the summer of 2012, they announced that the discovery of twin planets that mm. they had never been seen before. This guy discovered them, right? <laughs> so you named them after you? One of them. <laughs> Stacy, it's called. And so uh, he had written, he had like 10 free minutes one day on a Friday afternoon, and he had written a theoretical algorithm Jesus. to test a new optimum boarding method. And so when I start doing research about the kinds of experiments I want to do, I go, I get this idea because I had just traveled to Europe having done all those Christmas specials. And I thought, oh, we should be able to do a show about, uh, I should be able to do an experiment about airplane boarding. So I call him up and he says to me, do I want to do it? He says, John, you don't win a Nobel Prize for your theoretical work. <laughs> and so, bam, he comes out to California. His name is Dr. Jason Steffen, S-T-E-F-F-O-N. And he's a terrific guy. He's an astrophysicist who thinks about dark matter in the universe, right? And so we do this experiment. And anyway, that becomes episode number one. 
Sure. Now, uh, I, that show then is sent to Beyond right. because they look at it. And simultaneously, the people at the Discovery Channel are still interested in this versus that. Especially because the Penn and Taylor show fell flat on its face. Correct. Right. Plus, again, remember, the people who are in charge at the, at the second level, right? The first level is the president. Right. The guy just below him loves the show. And he still wants uh, the channel to do it. So I send him clips of the show. Right. I send them photographs of the show. I send them a completed episode of the show, right? Then, cut to six months later, the whole series is now finished. And it's been delivered to the international distributors, and they have it. Right. And it's now, they're selling it around the world. Then, the Discovery Channel comes calling again. And they offer me again some money to recut one or two of the episodes and edit them together in a way that I thought for me to make the show, I wanted the show to have one kind of pace mm -hmm. where there was a lot of information and that if you're paying attention, you can really learn and be entertained along the way. They wanted a show that was faster paced. Right. And so we, that, I mean, it wasn't my preference, but, you know, I took a few of their dollars and I uh, re-edited and wrote for them five years worth of experiments. Holy crap. Because now... Some people have said, well, why would you do that? And when you work in television and you work, when you make what are called a format kind of show, like uh, my show is, a format, as opposed to, say, a loosely structured sure. documentary sure. where you're just going to follow people around, the network reasonably would want to know that there would be enough variations of experiments that would fill this format yeah. sort of bowl or, uh, you know, tank. Got it. And so... Because they had been burned like they were with Penn and Teller Tell a Lie, uh, right? That that format didn't, there wasn't more material that they could have reasonably done. Right. Right? And so they want, so I have to give them that. And after they look at the tape, uh, they decide, nope, we still don't want the show, even though <laughs> they paid me some money. And they had seen the tapes. They right. had now seen all of the episodes, all of them, plus this Bible Right? So they have all of the material. Now, the contract says that, and very clearly states, that they can look at the material and that's it. Yeah. They are not owners of it. They do not, the copyright has not transferred. What they were, what they paid their money for was to look at my TV show. Right. Okay? And theoretically, what they're supposed to do is, after they look at it, they're supposed to forget about it if they mm -hmm. passed on the show. However, that is not what has happened. What has happened is, miraculously, mysteriously, the material from the first episode of my show, The Airplane Boarding Experiment, and the contents of an entire second episode with a variety of experiments about traffic and uh, traveling and uh, which is uh, better... Uh, a roundabout or a traditional inter four-way intersection right. now has mysteriously and miraculously ended up in two episodes of Mythbusters, right? And the Mythbusters have done, I think it's about 150 or 200 shows. Only two episodes have not aired in the United States. Oh, no. 
Uh oh. My airplane boarding experiment and this traffic experiments, right? Only two. And why is that? Because U.S. copyright and intellectual uh, idea theft laws from the United States are not apparently applicable outside the United States. So if they air those, then you got them. Well, I got no. them anyway because right. they produce them here. Oh. And uh, the, the threshold for uh, demonstrating a case like mine is, one, did they have access? Yeah. Two, is there a similarity, but not just a similarity like, oh, those two things look like each other, but a kind of similarity that says it's so similar that a reasonable person could not believe that these two things are similar based on a coincidence. Right. And, and you show examples. And on, on, the on the website, you can go to my blog for the show, blog.thisversusthatshow.com, and you can see the side-by-side -side comparisons of the material. So they had access because I presented them the very first time I pitched the show, a seven-minute preview that I shot that looks that's a highlight reel right. of as if we had shot all those experiments right and then made a highlight reel of it so it's a presentation which you can also see on the website right it's the very first thing i think that there is to click on you can see this uh presentation and uh one of the experiments in that is the traffic experiment about should you weave or should you stay in your lane or should you take the surface streets right so they've had that they have an internal system at their office that they ask producers to upload video to so that their different executives can look at it. Mm -hmm. They had my presentation video in their system for about six or eight months. It shouldn't be there. Well, no, I gave it to them or, to look but, at But like, then they forget about it. Why not then they're supposed it? to forget about it and delete it. Right. But that is not what happened. Then they also had the airplane boarding experiment, and then they had the traffic experiment. They had all of the material. And somehow now, miraculously, it has ended up in these episodes of Mythbusters. And I want to be clear that they did not just take some random ideas that I faxed in. These were people who offered to buy my television show twice. These were people who uh, had access to the material. The production company that makes Mythbusters are the same people that sell my show internationally. It's the same company that's in business with the Discovery Channel. And the Mythbusters that I'm talking about that have aired my, that have taken my, sorry, I don't want to say taken, that have mysteriously appeared on their shows, right? It's the same Mythbusters that you watch when you watch TV. It's Jamie Heineman, it's Adam Savage, and Carrie and Tori and uh, the third, uh, whatever, right? And it's the same, it, it's that show. And I want to say, to the people that are listening, that if I were Adam and Jamie, I would be furious. Because clearly the hosts of the show have not appropriated my material. They should be furious at the people around them that they trusted to produce for them material that was original. Right. And it is not. Adam and Jamie are literally saying words that I wrote, that I wasn't paid for. And that's what I get paid to do, is to come up with ideas and to write things and to use my creativity to make things that are unique and thankfully here in the US there are laws that protect content creators like myself and 
like your website, mm -hmm. right? People can't just come to your website and take it, right? The, these ideas are unique. My expression of them is unique, and that is protected by copyright laws and uh, intellectual property uh, cases, and uh, they have clearly had access, and the similarity is so overwhelming that a reasonable person could not believe that these things are coincidences, that the only way to have known is to have seen it and to replicated it, because the series of coincidences is monumental. It's not possible. Are you proposing a boycott? Do you want the audience to not watch uh, Mythbusters or watch uh, Discovery Channel shows? Well, I've asked people to do a few things. Okay, what do you, right? you ask? I thought that one of the things that the networks really monitor uh, is they want to know how many people are watching the shows. Right. So I thought an interesting way to get people to show that there was some support is stop Unfollow them on Twitter. I've taken screenshots right. of... Uh, before and after? Before and after. So I took screenshots of their Twitter numbers and their Facebook numbers, right? And I thought, if I could get uh, 100,000 people to uh, stop watching the show... Which to, could be 5 10%. Right. That would be a big uh, thing that would indicate to them, oh boy, John is having an effect. And because their show premieres in three weeks, right? right they do not want this bad publicity. And so I would love it if people would, A, unfollow, Mythbuster, unfollow Mythbusters on Twitter, unfriend them on Facebook, right. right? And let's see those numbers go down. And if you believe and you trust that what I'm telling you is true, to please tell your friends and go to the blog and share it with your friends and ask them to do the same thing. And because... This is an injustice, an injustice. And I believe me, I get that some people in your audience who are rabid fans of the show will be reticent, but because they have a loyalty to a program that they've uh, really enjoyed. Mm -hmm. But what I, I hope and it, I, I well, Let's just hope they hope, like my show better. Yes, exactly. But that, what <laughs> that their loyalty... Are you Geekscapists or are you Mythbusters? Right. That their loyalty will be trumped by their outrage. Right. And Yeah, I was a bit outraged when I read it. And that, I hope, is the thing that people will understand. So they can go to the, they can, if they go to my blog, there's buttons to, links to unfriend them on Facebook. I would love it if you would uh, unfollow them on Twitter. You can also sign up at our website to just get updates from me. And not I, to watch the show, obviously. And obviously when it premieres, please don't watch the show, right? Um, it's going to premiere January 8th. And boy, if people don't watch and they see those ratings go down, that is their worst nightmare. This is their franchise show, right? And so people should don't watch it. And let's dial up the pressure, and I'm going to continue the pressure uh, from my end, and uh, I have a few surprises in store for them over the next few weeks. Oh, okay. And so, uh, yeah. And I would love it if people would come to our webs. And then the other thing that you can do is... You can buy your web, buy your You episodes. can come and see the episodes of uh, my show and see the original experiments that were mysteriously t uh, uh, disappeared from. I take that back. That the content of my show mysteriously ended up on another show on a show that you like. And it's like what? It's like five ninety nine for all. Six you can episodes? see. You can see it. Uh, I think it's now uh, eight and a quarter. I think is. Uh, 
what we sell it for. I can't remember. But you, could, could, I mean, you, could you make a? Could you put these things on Netflix? Well, domestic? could what, you put these things on Hulu? Could, I mean, well, here's what I decided. Things you could do domestically. Yes, but I decided that when the, when I decided to make a show independently outside of the traditional network system, right. which is, and I don't I don't know that I mentioned this yet. Right, I financed. Is on by, I, yeah. No, no, but I financed the show. I own the show, and once I decided to go that route. I thought that it would be a good investment for potentially me personally and good for our business in general to demonstrate that content creators can make shows outside of the network system that homogenizes their work, that dumbs it down, that makes it less interesting. Uh, the, the, uh, the metaphor that I tell people is that uh, when content creators uh, who go off to make something. They want to make Rocky Road ice cream. They want to make something that has chocolate chunks and marshmallow swirls <laughs> and fudge in it, right? right? And that through the development process, the network executives, because they want to make a show that appeals to the broadest audience, they pick out the marshmallows, they pick out the chocolate chunks, they pick out the caramel swirl, and what you're left with is chocolate ice cream. And believe me, the minute they can figure out how to get chocolate out of ice cream, you're going to be left with vanilla. And right. that's what TV is going to become, right? And now there's an opportunity for content creators because to make programs that are more unique, that aren't homogenized, that aren't dumbed down, that appeal to a niche audience that the networks might not have catered to previously. Right. And I wanted to be able to demonstrate that it's possible to distribute programs on your own and that to end up in Hulu or Netflix. Which are, be, I mean, Hulu's owned by some of the stuff. Right, but right. and I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. Right. I wanted to demonstrate that it's possible for my friends who have created some of the most popular shows on television and my other friends who have written some of the most popular and successful films, comedies of the last five or six years, mm -hmm. that we and they and our friends can make programming that the audience will love we can make it for less, and we can make a kind of program that is smarter and that is unique and that has a kind of storytelling that's more compelling and isn't watered down the way the broadcast networks and the cable companies uh, uh, do it. You forgot Carmel Swirl. Yeah, that's swirl. part of the yeah the intelligent, uh, sorry. engaging yes. Carmel Swirl and has Carmel in it. That's yeah, exactly it right. In it. And so, once I decided to go the independent route. I thought, Let's if I can show way. people, I'm going to go the whole nine yards. Yeah. Production distribution, the whole nine Correct. yards. Correct. And that, and this is the thing that I tell people, is that we can make programming better, and we are. My program has no advertising on it. It is not, there's no conflicts of interest. We did an experiment, for example, about which car is really better, a hybrid or a high-mileage combustion engine car. So when I pitched the show to the Discovery Channel, the first thing they said to me was, is, we could never do that experiment because Toyota is one of our biggest advertisers. Right. Right. We did an experiment where we drove Toyota Priuses and other cars, uh, the high mileage uh, Chevy Avio and the smart car simultaneously around a track with NASCAR drivers at 40 miles an hour. And we show you how terrible the gas mileage is for hybrid cars. And people don't know this. And if you knew this and that based on your particular driving style, if you want to help save the environment, 
uh, buying a Prius might not be the car for you. Right. What you'll then be doing is overpaying for a car that you think you're helping to save the environment with, only you're not. Mm-hmm. And I think that people want to know. They, they genuinely want to be able to do something that they think is, is it good for the environment? Is it good for my health? Whatever it is, right? And there's so much information out there. And so we worked with the smartest people from uh, universities, scientists, uh, doctors, to give people information that they could rely on and trust. And it's the, the tagline for the show is no bias, no bullshit, just science, fact, and funny, right? So- so, uh, John, it, online we can definitely see the show. And obviously Correct. you're listening to this online, so it, it's a, a click away. Um, what about uh, possibly putting out those six episodes as like a DVD? I'm not against it. Uh, here's the thing. Blu-ray, DVD, whatever, yeah. Here's the thing. Uh, uh, when it comes to digital rights management, mm-hmm. uh, there's a tricky issue yeah. about, especially because I'm independent, right, it's going to be perhaps cost prohibitive and one of the right. things that I want to avoid... You'll have another box in your, in your garage. Right. <laughs> right, no, but then is somebody who is does nefarious things with it and starts just uploading it to BitTorrent, right? right. And, load, and so now this thing that I've created and invested in is now the toothpaste is out of the tube. So really, like, like this versus that the, the, is the place to get it. The place to see the show, you can see it in two places. There's uh, on our blog... There's uh, episodes uh, uh, at the end of some of the blog posts, mm-hmm. but the very best place to see it is to just go to our website at thisversusthatshow.com mm-hmm. and uh, click uh, on the homepage, see the episodes. People can see the first 10 minutes of every episode for nothing. Right. right? The first 10 minutes of all six episodes you can see on the homepage uh for nothing and they're all in high definition again the people that i made the show with are the same people who make the shows that run on the discovery channel that run on history channel that run on nat geo that run on spike and those are the same camera operators uh the same writers who write for uh the tonight show who write for jimmy kimmel who wrote for uh uh, tosh and uh jesselnick and all your favorite comedians are the guys who write for my show and I, you know, there's my credentials working with bullshit. Sure. And I wrote for Curb Your Enthusiasm. And Are your Mar- foreign distributors, who obviously you're still with, you know, Mythbusters and the Mythbusters? I'm going to sue them too, because they are part and parcel of all of this. And they're your foreign distributors. So there's a chance that maybe you can't even watch it on TV foreign in the near future. Uh, that is correct. All right. So online sounds like the way to go. Yes. And again, I, the hurdle that I think all of us face is that... I think that people think that online TV shows, that somehow you're going to get something that's subpar. Right. That you're not going to get something that's big. You're not going to get something with a lot of production value. You're not going to get something made by television professionals. And this isn't to dismiss the, the great work that people do who make videos and upload them. Right. I'm, what I'm saying is, is that there's different levels. Some of it's uh, the major leagues. Mm-hmm. Some of it's uh, AAA, right? And some of it's uh, single A ball. And some of it's, uh, uh, you know, knock hockey in a kid's backyard, right. right? And so this is made by television professionals. It stars television professionals. It features some of the, it features scientists and doctors uh, from prestigious universities and hospitals whose information uh, you can trust, and that's what distinguishes it. Plus, it's 
as big. And it's not a 44-minute one-hour show. These are all shows that are 50 to 55 minutes, uh, each one of them, and there's no commercial breaks, there's no advertising on our site, and uh, there's no conflict of interest. The buck stops at my desk. and uh, We're sitting at it right now. And literally we're sitting at yeah, it. Yeah, we're sitting at his desk. Yes. And so, I actually see the buck on the far end. Yeah, it's right here. Yeah, yeah. I you see can the see buck. that it has stopped yeah. right here at my desk, right next to the Cheetos. <laughs> right, it's here are the Cheetos. We've been looking at those Cheetos. Yeah, too. <laughs> you can uh, you can hear this, right? And so those are the Cheetos, and the buck has stopped right next to it. Well, John, uh, thanks for coming on the show. You geekscapists know what to do. This versus that show dot com, um, and really like. I know a lot of you guys are fans of these other shows, and it hurts to tell you guys that you know maybe there's been a misdirect in your uh, viewing. But you know, if you believe uh, John and if you you know believe what he's saying, definitely uh, visit his site and research some of this stuff. They can and, read the whole and, post and, and see read the whole thing, which is what I did. I mean, I read it, and in a few days later, I'm here in John's garage looking at the buck at the end of his desk. And, and don't touch my Cheetos. I, I swear, <laughs> I don't. I, I don't care who's listening. If you touch my Cheetos. I think he's just explained. I think he's just displayed that he's as big a geek and a snack food junkie as we are. Um, but uh, yeah, Geekscape is. I mean, that, uh, John, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, Thank you thanks for, for having me. Thanks for and, doing this. And the the people who have listened for give or take no, fifty minutes. Yeah. Uh, I want to say thank you very much for uh, taking a few uh, minutes out of your day to listen and to give uh, a read to what's on the blog and uh, to just. Go in with an open mind, because if you were a fan of the show, I know I'm going to have a hard time convincing you. However, when you read what I wrote and you see it, there's only one conclusion that you can draw, and that is that material of mine, my hard work, was misappropriated and uh, taken from me without my consent, and I wasn't paid for it, and it was by a giant corporation that thinks that I will not do anything about it because I'm just one guy. And what's great is that there's a whole wide world of people who are listening to this show and others and reading, and we can make a difference. And I know that fixing my problem, quite frankly, is a very small potato compared to genuine problems that people suffer with. However, uh, for the moment, I'm focused on mine. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> believe me, I'll get back to focus. And right, like I've also done a lot of, you know, I've provided people with answers. I was going to play patriotic music Thank you. in the background. That would be, I would maybe, love that. Something not. swelling, yeah. right? And then suddenly, yes. And then suddenly, well, this is just my problem. Well, right. <laughs> and but and reasonably so. And yeah. so I want people to be able to uh, compartmentalize, like to go, oh, here's this little problem over here. And that doesn't mean that other problems aren't also problems. But this one's an easy one to be a This part is of. an easy one to be, to help fix. Right. And uh, I appreciate you taking the time to think about it and listen and uh, I hope you found the stories interesting. And uh, if you ever run into me, uh, ask me for a second piece of sausage. <laughs> and you will be surprised at what you get. <laughs> Geekscape is thanks for listening. Uh, again, check out our website, geekscape.net. Befriend us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. Just search for Geekscape. We'll be right there. And uh, I'm at Jonathan Lennon on Twitter. John, are you on Twitter? I am. You can find us at, at this versus that show. Uh, also on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash this versus that show. You can see uh, tons of videos on our YouTube page. Uh, surprisingly, YouTube, uh, this versus that show. <laughs> By the way, very quickly for five seconds, yeah. I know you have to wrap it up. Sure. Uh, when I first came up with the idea for the show, I tried to buy the website this versus that 
dot com. com. Yeah. And uh, I found the guy who owned it. He's a guy in Canada, whatever. And uh, I said, uh, hey, I'd like to buy it. I don't know what I'm going to use it for. Maybe my thing. And he wrote me back. He wanted $50,000. Yeah. And I, I wrote him back. I said, no, 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 thank you. Could have given him that discovery money. <laughs> right. And then I, and then once the show was up and running, just before I sort of filled out all the paperwork on GoDaddy, and I gave the guy one more chance. I said, look, I'm going to offer you $5,000. Uh, if I don't hear from you about 5 o'clock, I'm going to go with this versus that show, and I'll never think again about that address. Oh. And he didn't call me, and so we're at thisversusthatshow.com, and I'm perfectly happy with that. And if he does email you, it's going to stop at that buck right over there. <laughs> uh, thanks a lot, John. Before we go, I just wanted to remind all the Geekscapists that John has offered you all six episodes for 25% off. Go to thisversusthatshow.com, click on See the Series, launch the player, enter your info, and then add the promo code Geekscape. You get all six episodes. It's about six hours for 25% off. See you guys next week.